What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 71 of the Noise Podcast, brought to you by Noise.co.uk and sponsored by Stereo Brain Records. I am your host, slash your boy, Chris Pugh. And as ever, I'm joined by my very good friend and Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Mate, how are you? Man, despite the black heart inside me, it does fill me with a little bit of joy to look outside my window and see a bit of sun. A bit of summer. It's getting warmer. It's getting nicer. The Euros are coming. Festivals are happening. The world is opening back up. Like, um, I'm, I'm good, man. And things are getting better. As I, as it cut to you then, you were like staring at the window like this. And it was really wholesome, that was. You were like <laughs> like really appreciative of the sun shining, the birds are chirping. That was awesome. I'm really glad that was, that was, that was really wholesome. That's immediately we, we, put me in a good place. Because some of the things that we're going to talk about on this podcast aren't in a good place. <laughs> no, they're not. Um, I would like that as a T-shirt then. Just a cynical underneath it and just the juxtaposition of those two images, I think, would be well, maybe a rainbow over my head. Yeah. I think, I think that could be something that we could work with. Next yeah, noise merch line, mate, done. I mean, what more do we need? I mean, already the Mavericks that we are. So I'm I'm very optimistic at this moment in time. I'm, I'm incredibly busy, but I'm very optimistic in terms of the way that the next few months are going to go and and, and things that are happening around us as we speak. We are Rock and Metal Podcast, sponsored by Starbrand Records. We're with you every fortnight. We're available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, basically wherever you listen to slash watch podcasts, we will be there. Uh, the best way to support us is by following slash subscribing, depending on whichever service you are using. Follow us on Twitter at Noise Podcast. And on this week's episode, we have got, we're going to run through the news. And um, we've got reviews on a new Hacktivist record, Hyper Dialect, and Max Cavalera's Death Metal Side Project, Go Ahead and Die. Plus, this episode's Chris Meats is with Twitch streamer Elliot Lever. Me and him talk about how he originally got into music, uh, his time writing about music, and now he's a big, bold step into the world of Twitch streaming and leaving his 40-hour-a-week uh, job to do that. Um, Sam, because of the length of time my chat with Elliot was, it makes sense for us to get straight into the news. So I am going to start off, Sam, with the announcement of the Download Pilot. Uh, the Download Pilot is taking place on the 18th to the 20th of June. As we record, this tickets went live today, and I do believe they have sold out. I, I, I'm not 100% certain, but I do believe they may have sold out. Regardless, uh, to give a bit more detail, it's a 10,000 capacity pilot festival to help open up live music. There will be no social restrictions at the festival. So it's very much going to be the case of, I would assume, the festival takes place. And then depending on how many positive, negative cases come out after the festival, the government have information they can use then to determine uh, the feasibility of live music returning. So please, Lord, oh, please, we hope this goes well. But even if even if this doesn't go well and it turns out, oh, we've had thousands of positive cases and this was actually this was actually a disaster. Um, for the time being of the festival happening, I'm sure this is going to be an excellent time. Sam's going to run through the lineup here. On the Friday, headlined by Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes, uh, Neck Deep, Sleep Token, Boston Manor, Holding Absence, Hot Milk, Malevolence, Death Blooms. Saturday, headlined by Anti Shikari, While She Sleeps, Creeper, Stonebroken, Twin Atlantic, Yanaka, Those Damn Crows, A, Vakovi, Tiger Cub, Wargasm, The Horror, Bleed From Within, As Everything Unfolds, Condra, and Lotus Eater. And then the Sundays, headlined by Bullet for My Valentine. Frank Turner and the Sleeping Souls, Skin Dread, The Wild Hearts, Trash Boat, Massive Wagons, Elvana, Jamie Lemon, Lonely the Brave, Higher Power, Load, Chubby and the Gang, Employed to Serve, Cassiette, St. Agnes and Static Dress. 
Now, Sam, those, as you will have noticed, and possibly uh, listeners will have noticed, those are all British bands. If anything, I think this speaks for the tremendous amount of talent that is currently running through the British scene. It's a fantastic thing. Sam, I would like to point out, and I think me and you have had this conversation privately, but let's just do it now here as well. I was nerdy enough, Sam, to try and figure out how many of these artists were already on the 2021 lineup. It's around about the 50% mark. Now, the reason why I did that is because the 2021 lineup, Sam, as most download lineups tend to, came in for a fair amount of criticism. And yet, the lineup for this, I have seen, has been received incredibly, incredibly well. Now, I should put a caveat here. I think both lineups were very, very solid, and I think this is a very impressive lineup. However, the reaction to this on social media has been much, much kinder to the lineup of 2021's announcement and that of 2022's announcement, I should, I should say, actually. Sam, why is this? Why are people, uh, apart from the fact they're buzzing, they can go to a festival. Let's just let's just put that to the side for one second. Obviously, they're, they're really happy they can go to a festival, but why has this pilot lineup been received so much better than the 2021 lineup and 2022 lineups when actually almost half of the acts are the same? It's a great question. It's a great question. It, I think a lot of it stems from the, the just like you said, the overwhelming sort of appreciation that this sort of event can take place and the bravery that Andy Coppin has taken in stepping forward in providing this sort of opportunity after so long. Um, I mean, have has the world got nicer since 2020? I don't think that it has. No, no. Um, if there's any evidence to suggest that it has. Um, Matt, is the world slightly more appreciative of this specific thing, perhaps? Um, is this the good half of the festival on it from 2021? I don't know. I, you, could, you know what I mean? I could pick holes in it, but I, I'm not too. I'm not too sure that it's it's massively better or worse. I just think, like you, it's a solid lineup that caters to a lot of different genres. I looked at this and, and, and had a scan of the bands, and I thought. If this wasn't on a Tuesday to a Thursday, I would strongly consider going. Um, and and I think it caters once again to a whole sea of metal fans. And given the circumstances, is as good as can be hopeful right now. And I think that's what's controlling the narrative. Because even to the most ardent of download commenter, um, a festival is better than no festival. And and I think that's the the leading the leading narrative here. What about you? I believe that the current situation has forced people to look past the big six names that they see on at the top of the festival. I, be, I think because of the current situation, people are looking at the download pilot and they are knowing that it would be unfair to look at Frank Carton and Rattlesnakes, Neck Deep and Shakai Walsh, sees Bullet from Valentine and Frank Turner as the leading six names. And instead, they are forcibly looking elsewhere because... Across this lineup, Sam, there's a load of bands that I love. I like Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes. I love Sleep Token. I love Holding Absence and I love Malevolence. I really like Enchikari, but I love While She Sleeps. I love Creeper. I really like Twin Atlantic. I love Conjurer. I really like Bleed From Within. Uh, I I like Bullet For My Valentine, Ugh, depending on what <laughs> what kind of year their, their set's going to be based on. Uh, I've, I'm all right with Frank Turner, but I love Lonely the Brave. 
I really like higher power and I love employed to serve. And I think Jamie Lemon's wicked as well. So I know I have always tried to do this. I have always tried to look at a festival lineup and, and forcibly been like, right, okay, the six names in the biggest font don't appeal to me, but there's going to be like 130 bands here. So let's look further down. And I think people, and I get why, because the headliners are the names in the biggest font and they are the bands that are going to charge the most. And that's why the ticket prices are as high as they are because they've got to pay the big bands loads of money. So people automatically look to the biggest names on the biggest font and they make their decision from there. I think the current situation has forced people not to do that. And I think that's why the reaction that I've seen of the download pilot has been much, much better than the usual reception that a download lineup would receive. I've got no evidence for that. That is purely conjecture, but that is why that is what I think it is. We we are we are forced to look past the big font. I think I think it might just be as simple as the layout of the new poster as well. Um, I, like as, as a marketing exercise, it it's differently laid out. Yeah, and the classic download for, um, poster with the top three in huge writing, and then everyone else in sort of like a litany of like terms and conditions style. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, writing underneath that hasn't happened. It's actually much more where it's like this band, but also all these that you can actually see, and they're all also give the same sort of gravity. Um, so I do think it. I mean, I do think it's. I think it's that simple. Perhaps um, am I suggested that people only read headlines. Well, um, our, our media and politics might indicate that um, over the last few months, um, that people definitely do that. Um, so it would surprise me if people just jump on the bandwagon of the initial posters, as you have intimated for really every year that we've been having this podcast, that you come out and I say, oh, I don't like the headlines. You say, yeah, but Sam, there's 179 <laughs> other bands. Yeah. Um, and, and then you proceed to list what else I could have seen instead of, expand here or whatever and and that's that's absolutely right that's absolutely right people are naturally going to fix out on the opening this this forces them not to you couple it with the contextual circumstance of of 2021 then people are like gagging at the chance to do this yeah i mean um, copy really could have announced anybody liked yeah like i say it's great for british music the, the way that they've been able to just literally on the drop of a dime put a festival list together of purely British bands and it's been received as well as it has. Just just quickly, just for argument's sake, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick the big hitters from the 2022 download and open Kiss, Maiden, Biffy Claro headlining, Deftones, Corn, Rise Against, Megadeth, uh, The Ghost Inside, Funeral for a Friend, Holding Absence of Playing, Lower the Plane, Of Mice and Men are Playing, Steel Panther are sadly playing. <laughs> um, Sepultura are playing. Dying Fetus are playing. Bleed From Within are playing. As Venom Prism are playing. And yet, this the, the 2022 lineup, the, not everyone, but again, the atmosphere towards it was so much more negative. And yet, if I, what I've just done there is the same thing that I've done for the previous, for the, for the, for the pilot lineup. And both lineups sound great. So I just think what this is, is purely people being forced to look past what would have been Kiss, Maiden, Clara, Deftones, Corn, Megadeth. For the pilot, they're forced to look past the big six. 
and look elsewhere because they understand the position that Downloud are in and they understand that Downloud can't get all of their fiery bands on the bill. But they shouldn't be expecting Downloud to do that anyway. I think this is just a classic case of people's, on a normal basis, inability to look through the static. And in this case, they've been forced to without them without them knowing. Now, of course, that's not every single download fan. That's just the ones that I've seen that are usually negative, that are now really positive about it. And this should be really positive about it because the download pilot lineup is great. But I also think the download 2022 lineup is really good as well. If you look past the the big bands, like, for example, I've got no interest in Kiss and Maiden. I've got lots in Sepultura and Deftones. You know what I mean? I'm not going to stick on download for too long because we talk about it all the time. But I, I just thought that was an interesting thing that's happened recently let's move on um sam have you seen what's happened with megadeth uh, recently a little bit yeah i have right so david ellison has been dismissed from megadeth he was megadeth's bassist we're not going to speak a lot about that i will just put out i'm just going to read a statement that david ellison has made uh, to the rolling stone quote recently a very private video was illegally posted on the internet and false allegations were made against me the actions in the video were between two consenting adults and were recorded without my knowledge i am working with scottsdale police department in their investigation into charges regarding revenge pornography to be filed against the person who posted this video also my lawyers are preparing a defamation lawsuit to be filed against this person this person will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. I am taking this time to be with my family. I wish my bandmates, my bandmates the best with their upcoming tour. There's nothing more that I would like to discuss there. David Ellison is no longer the basis of Megadeth. That was his statement. What I do want to discuss, Sam, is that Jason Newstead has already been ruled out of the running. Now, what happened was, of course, the internet did what the internet did. And with David Ellison out of the band, of course, the internet thought, who could go in? And their mind was immediately cast to Jason Newstead. Jason Newstead's, you know, Jason Newstead's wife, Nicole, went on her Instagram and posted this. Hi, guys. Two things. Jason is not, Jason is not joining Megadeth. Please listen. Uh, peace to them. Listen to metal. And then she also made a point of Jason hasn't got any social media accounts at all. So if you do receive a message from a Jason Newstead posing account, <laughs> don't take it seriously. So the, what I want to put to you here, let's play devil's advocate. Let's pretend that Jason Newstead was joining Megadeth. Do you think that would have been a decision partly motivated by perhaps turning the screw on his former band? At all absolutely. motivated? <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. I would go as far as saying it would be entirely motivated um, by the proposition um, um, of being able to turn the screw. And I would I would really like to see Lars Ulrich's reaction as it happened. I think yeah. that would be superb. Um, he gave an interview, didn't he, recently, David News, uh, Jason Newsy, where he said, um, I can't really play Metallica-type stuff anymore. He hasn't got the energy or the uh, physical aptitude for it, so maybe that's influenced his decision, which is a great shame um, because... Jason Newsted is a terrific bassist, a great live performer, and his absence from uh, modern the, the metal zeitgeist is is, a, is 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 one that I've missed. Not enough to wish that he's in his own band called Newstead, which was terrible. Um, uh, but he is a great accompaniment in another band, um, and that 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 is where he is missed. But yeah, I would have been I would have been very interested to see that. Um, it seems. 
it's a sad thing, I think, as well, that he's... Well, I don't know, actually, it's a sad thing. Do you think that he doesn't have a social media account because he has received and he's sick of the varying comments and replies and social media angst that you're likely to get from millions of obnoxious metal fans, perhaps? But um, either way, um, I hope I'll be well. I hope everything's okay moving forward. And I'd have been interested to see it. Um... I can't see Megadeth as the sort of band who are going to hire a super high-profile bassist um, to replace David Ellefson. Um, I think they just need somebody to stand in the background and play the stuff while Dave Mustaine does his thing. And when they hired Chris Adler, I don't think that was a uh, as much of a slam dunk as we thought it was going to be. No, no. I mean, me, me and you talking about that album before it came out, we're like, dude, Chris Adler's going to be on a Megadeth album. This is going to be, like, amazing. And it was just all right, wasn't it? I mean, I, that, I mean, that album won a Grammy for whatever we think that's worth. But we, 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 it was just all right, wasn't it? It was. It was, yeah. Um, they will find another standing musician, and that, that's what will happen. But I mean, you look through the, the history of Megadeth. I mean, around Dave for saying they must have had 30 musicians at this point uh, between different guitarists, bassists and drummers and varying oh. other issues and personal personal Let's stuff. All right, you can have a look. I'm going to set the over-under. I'm going to set the over-under at 25. <laughs> right, OK. Um, right, so. Or 20. Let's say 20. I'm going to say gonna... there have been at least 20 different musicians in Megadeth apart from Dave Mustaine. Right, okay. Um, I'm just on their Wikipedia here. I'm trying to get they've to... Had, the... They've had like four or five drummers. They've replaced, they've replaced the guitarist several times. Um, and he, David Ellison's come, gone away and come back and gone away and come back. And then you can even say there are two Daves. There's Christian Dave and Heroin Dave and Armless Dave. That's at least three. So I um it, there's been a, I'm looking here and there's been a fair few but what I'm going to do because it hasn't actually got a section where it's where it's got fully the band's like full list of members what it's got here is just a section where it says past members and a list so I'm going to count them so David Ellison Dijon Caruthers uh Richard Girard Lee Roche Gar Samuelson Greg Handevit uh Chris Poland Jay Reynolds Chuck Bella Jeff Young that's ten. Nick Menza, Marty Friedman, Jimmy DeGrasso, Al Petrelli, Sean Drover, Glenn Drover, James McDonough, uh, James, James Lomenzo, Chris Broderick and Chris Adler. So there it is. So the next musician who places David Ellison will be the 21st. Yep. That is, mate, what a shape from you that was. That was really impressive. That was really impressive. Uh, well, yeah. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, um, that is a great point then. Uh, just a complete revolving door in Megadeth over their 35 year span. Yeah, absolutely. And there's been several. I mean, David, I mean, Megadeth has formed out of a band departure, wasn't it, with the Metallica yeah. stuff? Like, it's it's a band that's almost defined by bitterness and resentment. It's a it's a revenge project called Megadeth. That's that's what it is. So, I mean, they're a great band. I mean, don't, don't yeah. be wrong. Dave is a genius. Yeah. Um, and I hope and I hope the next Megadeth album is really good. But David Ellison's a really great bassist. And let's not touch too much on it, but man has sex. Is that is that sackable? I don't know. I, uh, but it's clear maybe it goes deeper in the road. But David Stan said there were there were already tensions, and this was the straw that broke the camel's back. 
fine. I think David Sands had tensions with every single person he's ever met in his life. Um, so, fine. Um, but, yeah, man, it's a strange one. I'll I, I look forward to finding out who it is. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to make a great deal of difference. We know who writes the riffs, the lyrics, and puts the songs together. So, Sam, next two news articles I just wanted to float past you. Slipknot are making, quote, God music. Slipknot are in the studio, Sam. They've been in there for a while. I guess, Sam, we we wouldn't have had this had it not... Well, I would presume, we don't know this, but I presume we wouldn't have had this if it wasn't for the last 18 months where the band members can't do other things. So they may as well, I guess, just write music. So, and that was a comment made from Clown when I said Slipknot making, quote, God music. I've also seen floating around today that Slipknot, uh, Corey Taylor said they're doing things outside the box. Usual PR album stuff. Just wanted to make it known. Slipknot are back in the studio earlier than they would usually be. I'm assuming they've taken advantage of the fact of what else can they, what else can they really have done over the last year and a half apart from write music because things have been closed down, etc. Sam, I'll always be excited for a for a new Slipknot album. I know that we are not your kind didn't do a lot for you. I still think the album's really good and almost as good as we could realistically have hoped for from Slipknot in 2020 or 2019 when it came out. So I know I didn't do a, a great deal for you, but I'll always be excited for new Slipknot music and I feel like I, I can comfortably speak for you and say the same for you. Yeah, I'll always be excited about new Slipknot, but is there a greater disparity between a band's PR announcements and the actual product than Slipknot? Well, do you remember when they were talking about the real yes, the heaviest uh, the heaviest album we've done since Iowa? And it was uh, and it, you know, me and you when we were talk, we spoke about this on this podcast and we did preface it with bands do this, but even we still might we still got caught up in it, didn't we? Because it's like yeah. they've literally said it's the heaviest thing they've done since Iowa. We couldn't help and but was, get caught up and it, it was patently untrue. Patently untrue. Yeah. It, it wasn't even the heaviest thing they've done since All Hope is gone. Yeah, it was, it's just ridiculous. Um, but Corey Taylor and Clown are good at this. They are hyperbolic and exaggerative, and they're great interviews. And they know that they capture the the, the attention of every metal fan, um, pretty much everywhere, um, with any announcement that they make. They know exactly what they're doing. Um, but I'm sick of hearing it, man. Just yeah. put it in the studio. Yeah. Just put it on. Put it on record, please. I love, I love, I love Slipknot. I, I love Slipknot. Their first three albums are untouchably great, untouchably great. And their first two are the pantheon of all time openings for any band ever, and that will never change regardless of what happens. Um, but you don't need to sell it to me. I'm already gonna buy it. I'm already gonna listen to it. And so are ninety yeah. percent of other metal fans. Yeah. Can you just write it? Can you just do it? Expend all that energy there. I'm, I'm because all I do is I just talk to myself. Then when I hear it, I'm like, it's just another. Another, another, another lie. Then another PR sort of marquee. I, I'm not interested in that. Just write it, man. Sam, let's close off before we start off with album reviews. Now, this one, Sam, I'm going to try our best to just flee Tyler, but for some reason, I felt we we're going to get caught up here. But I'm going to try. I'm going to try and keep us at a minimum. Metallica are also in the studio, and. This hasn't been confirmed on any websites or anything like that, but the rumours that continue to swing 
especially with it being 2021 and the 30th anniversary of the first version, is that supposedly Metallica in the studio are, are looking at some kind of the Black Album Part 2. Now... I saw that. Yeah. So... <clears throat> You'll never, me and, and me either, we, we will never not be excited. It's the same for Slipknot. We'll never not be excited for a Metallica release. With it being the Black Album Part 2, is that dangerous ground for them to tread? It depends what it means by that. I think the Black Album Part 2 is going to be a re-release of the Black Album with extra, with extra stuff, as it's the... Um... 30th anniversary and they've done that with every other 30th anniversary than Justice for All and Master of Puppets and Ride the Lightning I don't think it's going to be a new album in the style of the Black Album I think it's going to be a um, documentary maybe or um, like they did with Justice for All stuff and it's going to be like all the demos and it's going to be like you know like a you know, like the Friends reunion where they all got sat yeah. around and listened to the it might be like that for the Black Album where like it's Metallica and Bob Rock and they sit down and like, discuss it and they do all that sort of stuff and maybe they'll put that out. or um, But they've already done that with the Classic Albums documentary, so maybe they don't do that either. Um, or they do like a gig and they play the Black Album its entirety and they just record that and put it on a Blu-ray and stick it with the new album that's been remastered, which out of all the Metallica albums, that one doesn't need touching, by the mm. way. Yeah, no, no, no. The, like, and Justice for All, I was desperate to hear a remaster, but this is perfect still, but Whatever, if you want to you know, turn it up and, and repackage it, fine, whatever. Um, I don't think this is a premonition of new material. Not for the Black Album Part 2. I think there'll be a new Metallica album before 2023. But I think Black Album Part 2 is just a re-release, extra footage, extra DVD, Blu-ray type deal. Let me just put something to you. Uh, let's say that tomorrow... I picture up on the internet with Bob Rock behind the glass and a mixing desk and Metallica are on the other side of it. What are you thinking? Let's say that's completely imaginary. Let's just say. You hi- are you hyped? Yeah, we're always, always. Yeah, I was like, you're always hyped, but are you like even more, like, are you like the most hyped you would have been since, I don't know, Death Magnetic? Uh, no, because um, I was really excited about Death Magnetic because I had Rick Rubin. And I was like, oh shit, Rick Rubin. Um, and I was like really buzzing for that. Um, and obviously it was like first for five years since St. Andrew and all that sort of stuff. And they were like, we're going back to our metal roots. It's going to sound like Kill Em All. And it kind of did. Um, but the thing is, is, is people are like, oh, yeah, Bob Rock, he did, you know, he did, he did the Black Arm, but he also did Reload and St. Anger. And they clearly had fallen out with each other by the end of that tenure. So I'd be intrigued, Chris. I'd be really, yeah. really intrigued. I'd be looking at that thinking, oh, does that does that mean I just listen to black album stuff and tightening things up and like it needs to? I mean, I spent a year and a half on it. Um, or like, you know, finding that find hanging over like the old one-on-one studio stuff and finding old riffs and, and all these bits and bobs and packaging it together. And is it that? Um, or is it actual? Bob Rock's involvement in new Metallica stuff. I actually think, personally, Metallica have benefited in the writing style by being free of the producer type mm. stuff. Um, because they, they're they clearly not an animal that needs to be contained in any way and, and definitely doesn't react well 
to somebody sitting and pointing because they've never they've never reacted well to that. Um, I think they're better off just doing their own thing. But I would I would be massively intrigued by any possibility that that involved the picture that you mentioned. Of course, I'm a huge Metallica fan. I just whatever. I'll say again, that's not something that I've seen on any websites or anything oh, like course. that. That is purely the rumor mill on social media. I just wanted to put it to you and say, I personally, I wouldn't want them to touch the Black Album Part 2 in terms of we're doing a new album in the style of the Black Album. Purely because I just don't think... Magic is, Ed, magic is, in, its, magic is in its first instance. And anything after that, you are trying to recapture the magic. And I just don't think it, it works. I think if Metallica tried to do the Black Album Part 2, it would just be a good rock album. Like a really, really good rock album with like a, a few great Hetfield lines in and a, and a few great drum rolls from Lars Ulrich. And, and we'd, be, we'd be having the same conversation that we had about Hardwired in the sense of like, is this the last good Metallica album we'll ever hear, etc.? And I don't think they need that. I, I would much rather Metallica just focus on doing, do it, just doing a new album. And, uh, you know, because I feel like if they did do the Black Album Part 2, we'd listen to it and we'd say they could have called this anything else and we wouldn't have linked it to the Black Album because it's, it's so far away from the quality of it. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, I, I do, absolutely. And... Are we, are we laboring under the impression that if they would have been able to write Enter Salmon and Sabbath True again, they wouldn't have just written that and put them on whatever album that had come out? Great point. It's a great point. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Metallica could be trying to write another Enter Salmon for 30 years. Yeah. Uh, hasn't happened yet. No. Yeah. Um, same with Whoever I May Roam, Sad But True, nothing else matters. They've been doing varying versions of all those um, ever since. And they have come, you know, halfway a couple of times. Um, but are we laboring under the impression that there's, there's just this this collection of songs that they just get to pull out of a drawer and be like, oh, this will do. Um, I don't think so. I think it's much, much more likely that it's a Black Album Deluxe Edition with extra content and a special gig and some extra stuff. And the new st- and the new stuff is, hey, check this song out that we never put on the album and check this demo out where James does this and check the fast version of Sad But True before we slowed it down. Yeah, and stuff. Yeah, and that'd be cool. That type, that 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 type of stuff. That's Black Album Part Two, um, in this because that's what they have done. That's what they have done with all the others. Final thing, and then we are moving on to album reviews. Uh, quick answer from you, please. Is this the last special release of an album we see from Metallica? What I'm asking there is, do we get special uh, edition releases of Load, Reload, Sight, Anger, Death Magnetic, or Hardwired? Not unless things get really really desperate i think this yeah. is the last one yeah uh, we are going to move on to album review sam let's start with hacktivist hyper dialect it is out on june 18th via unfd records or unified it's the grime Mel acts second studio album and the follow-up to 2016's outside the box i remember hearing outside the box and thinking it was good uh, there was a song on it called taken if I remember correctly, uh, with Ray Reynolds. Uh, I actually really liked that song. The title track had, if I remember correctly, a really great clean riff outro on it that me and you used to listen to quite a few times around mine on a Saturday night. But I think Hacktivist is one of those bands that it sounds great on paper, doesn't it? Grime metal sounds 
like the perfect idea on paper, but it's never really translated to a, a, a huge sway of fans for activists. Um, and you'd think the grime metal is like the perfect fusion of genres, you know, they're both full of attitude, you know, both grime metal full of attitude, I mean, rabid fan bases. But no one's ever really been able to nail the sound of the two coming together. I suppose body count might be the exception, but I'm not sure if you'd call body count grime metal. I'm a big Asteroid Boys fan as well. You like Asteroid Boys? I am less on Asteroid Boys. I think they're right. I think they, I think they were all right. I know they're not they're not together anymore. I think I think I thought they were fine. But I was never massive on them. Obviously, the greatest rap like rap and alternative music fusion is Rage Against the Machine. I think that'll probably be the case for the rest of time. I just don't think that'll ever be touched. Regardless of that, Sam, five years after the debut full length came out, I've gone into this record thinking that really hacktivists need to hit some kind of home run here if they're going to be a band that really makes something of grime metal. And the biggest mistake I made, Sam, going into this is I went into this thinking, I hope it's run the jewels, but with metal behind it. And it's just not run the jewels with metal behind it at all, is it? Uh, No, it's not. It's not good. Do you know what I mean, though? Like, we, do you know what I would think? I hope it's run the jewels with metal behind it. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I hope it's generational Rage Against the Machine. Um, I hope it's souped up Asteroid Boys. I hope it's, I hope it's grime with genuine riff work in the same way that um, the grime is so meticulous about the sort of beats of the backgrounds and stuff. And yeah, um, at its peak, this fusion brought us new metal. Yeah, this type of thing. Yeah, at its peak, it's 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 Limp Biscuit, arguably. Um, at least certain aspects of Link of, of obviously early Linkin Park and stuff. But you're right. Since then, this fusion has not worked as well. Um, I don't know why that is. I don't. I like to think that maybe because if you're a really, 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 really great collection of metal musicians, you write metal music and metal music only. And if you're a really great collection of grime rappers, you kind of stay within your genre. And really the only way that those two overlap is when there's a mutual benefit to be had. Like I'm pretty good at this, you're pretty good at that. Let's come together and try and make something out of the two things here. And that's why I appear to have got, because Chris, um, If you'd have taken the guitarists and musicians out of Hacktivist and took the grime element away, would there be a great metal band? I don't think so. No, there wouldn't be. No. If you took the metal riffs and the guitar work and the basses and all the drum work away from these mus- uh, these lyricists and frontmen of Hacktivist, would there be great rappers and grime musicians? I also think the answer to that is no. So to combine them is really just sort of smashing together these two worlds that just sound awkward. And I agree with you, on paper... On paper, that, and I'm I'm still of the belief that there is an album out there somewhere that will exist where this will work. Um, but I think we kind of need the best people at their respective fields to be doing it. We need run the jewels um, to do it. <laughs> we, yeah, we need run the jewels to do it. We do we do need run the jewels to do it, or if at least if it's it's UK, then we need top tier UK grime artists. You know, Bugsy Malone, Stormzy, and. And some of those, some of those guys, and, and, and Jamie and Skepta, and, and 
you know, maybe my knowledge is based on 2013 alone. But since then, I assume there's been several others as well that are of that sort of ilk. And then mixing that with some of our great hardcore musicians, because I think that's where the overlap would be at its best. Like if you put a trio of exceptional grime musicians and grime rappers and lyricists in Knock Loose, I'm yeah. having a different conversation. Yeah. Because I think that that mesh is, is where it works. What instead we're getting here on Hacktivist is a band of the same now that sounds a little dated, Chris. Yeah, it does. I'm um, with you, man. Totally. Uh, gent, to this degree, is is very 2016 and sounds it. It just sounds like they've gone into a cave and come back out and be like, is this still cool? And we're like, not really. Um, and and the same, the same with certain... And the same with grime musician, um, because I I think I don't listen to grime a lot, so I, I don't have a great. Me neither. Me neither. But the grime that I have listened to, I know it's very localized and very linked to where you're from and, and the geography and the accent and all that sort of stuff. And the London thing is such a key sound I've noticed, in, you know, in my various travels around the grime scene. But um, this actually sounds it doesn't work. And it sounds really cringe. It sounds really cringy. Um, and there's some there's some moments on this where they overpronounce stuff, like to emphasise like the Cockney accent, and then also to emphasise the ends of certain words so they rhyme. There's um, there's 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 a there's a there's 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 one on there's one on here where it's it's like every word at the end is ah. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Oh my like, god, I wrote the lyrics down. I know, I know which it, one you're on about. I think, I and think it's like it rhymes with like Syria and Burger and no, all this no, stuff. No, 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 I've got like, it here. I, I know which one you're on about. I think what? it's called this song's called Life. It's called Life Form, isn't it? That's and, right. Yeah. And I wrote, right. I, I was listening to it and I was like, is it these lyrics are wind up? Because I wrote them down. Um, here we go. Not everybody's going to see these things the same way that you do, but every day is brand new. Dream of a life where I'm respected for my fashion, yeah, and not my hair. Every day I kneel down in prayer, you might get bust with a chair. And I, I was listening, and I thought, this is every a... Every day I kneel down in prayer, you might get bust with a chair. He's all-time bad. I was like, it's, this it's, is a wind it's up, rest, this is. Yeah, it's wrestler entrance bad, that is. That, that sort of... That sort of it. It's like year nine rap battle bad like no offense to, to, to but that that's the problem i listen to these lyrics on the first listen but he there's a, there's one there's one lyric in here where it's like um i'm like barlow gary and i'm like there's no way you just said that out loud <laughs> there's no there's no way you actually put that in a, in a music in a serious context um i just couldn't i couldn't believe it i, could, I, couldn't quite, I was like no no, take that references really in 2021. That's contemporary, and um, and it's just mixed with um with this music that doesn't go anywhere. It sounds like you know what, like if this was the background music to like a film trailer, if or like a Call of Duty advertisement, you're into it for that 30 seconds because for that 30 seconds you can be sort of convinced in the magic of the of oh it's heavy and also like streetwise and but then if you listen to it longer than three or four minutes and you listen to a few of these songs it doesn't hold up it doesn't hold up because chris there, there is there's a lot of guitar in this but there isn't a single riff there's essentially one guitar sound for the entire album there's lots of choruses but not a single one that's actually a chorus at all really um 
at all. Like, there's no evidence of, of melody in the slightest. And the absence, and, and this is actually, um, now I, I can't use Hacktivist as a way to judge the entire metal scene because that would be grossly unfair on both Hacktivist and the metal scene. But um, when we talk about, you, you know, you love the screaming vocals and I always talk about, you know, I like the combination. I think this is an example where when you don't have the blend of a melodic vocalist, it sounds so repetitive on one track. And this is the this is the bad version of that is what I'm trying to say is that because, you know, like the verses were at one pace and then the chorus comes in and it's the same riff and it's just the same guy shouting a couple of words again. And then it goes back to the riff and it doesn't feel like there's any change at all. There's not really any sort of transitions. And I felt that way with Armoured Core. Yeah, like yeah. Two and a half minutes of like angry, you know, growing, we're going to brag the doors down, smash the doors in tight rap music. And then the chorus is the same riff with him shouting armoured core, and then he goes back. And I'm like, where's the transition here? This isn't and four minutes is a long time if you listen to the same, same just um, melody over and over again. Um uh, I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna be too harsh on them because I I I I don't want to be that person. Um and I don't think it gets us anywhere, and certainly not them. Um, I, I think there's probably an audience for this, but it, this feels like entry level for both things. Yeah. Like if you were 15, I was thinking about this. If you were 15 and I sat you down and you're like, you like Eminem and Drake and, 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 and you know, uh, these, these sort of artists, you were like, yeah. And, you know, you like a bit of Linkin Park and you're like, yeah, we'll try this out. And you would think this was the greatest band in the world for six months. And then after that, you'd find the next bands that lead you to, right? And then it would, you'd look back on Hacktivist and think, all oh, right, that was a good entry level and, and I'm going to leave that behind. And then you move on to other stuff. And I feel like that's what it is. Now, for, now that's why I think there's, not, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a market out there. But I do think it's the younger audience. Because me and you, I mean, you're, you're, you're 12 years down the road. I think I'm about 15, 16 at this point. I've heard this. I've heard, I've heard versions of this. I've heard better versions of this. On, on both levels and the moment i heard this i was like this i know where this is going i know what this needs and what it doesn't have and it actually reminded me a little bit of that amure record i was thinking they were Amur, ex- where it's about where to be one ex- riff yeah where they were experimenting with rap and spoken word alongside repetitive uh, guitar work and what happens is it you essentially try and bridge two genres and you end up isolating fans of both because if I was into Bugsy Malone and Stormzy and all those sort of artists, I wouldn't, I wouldn't seek this guy out for his lyrics. And if I am, actually, I am into Meshuggah and Periphery and other gent metal riffs and artists, and I certainly wouldn't listen to this for the riff work. So what have we got here? That's the problem that I'm having. This was a difficult album to review, Chris. I think this has been the most difficult album I've had to review all year. Yeah, same. Um, because it was so hard to differentiate some of the songs because they were so similar in style and structure. And then because my, my, my first view, my first listening was so critical in my own head, what I was going to say, I decided I have, to, I have to keep going back to this and trying to find stuff to talk about that doesn't mean that I'm just shitting on this album. I don't want to do that. Um, but I'm sad to report, I didn't find a great deal to change my viewpoint. And I don't mean that with any sort of offence whatsoever. This just isn't for me. I don't think this is for you. And I don't think this is for a lot of people in our, um, what's the phrase, in our taste, I guess, in our circles. Um, because I just think there are bands that do versions of this that are miles ahead, light years away. 
and this feels adolescent, Chris. It feels yeah. really adolescent, actually. Um, the styles of the, the lyrics are just, I find myself cringing. Like when they're, they're talking about, like, you know, like beating people up and breaking people's houses and, and, and then um, they're talking about how they're going to change the world to be peaceful, but also that there's so many, like, it doesn't feel like there's one particular theme and it's just all these, like, generic mantras that are just being crammed in um into different songs and it just doesn't it doesn't fly with me i think this is um i think this is a disappointing record i was worried about this album by the second song luminosity because the art the album album anti-mc has got this heavy gent riff and i'm like oh right okay and there isn't really a lot to say about it there's a there's a you know it just feels completely inconsequential which for an opening song for an album of this style is a yeah, problem. They say you're open. It's what you want. It's what you want fans to first hear. Yeah. I was like, oh, it usually doesn't get better from there. Usually. And then Luminosity opens with basically the same structure, almost like almost identical. And immediately, I was like, oh, this this might be a long time. This album. I think, I think both MCs have got a decent flow. The, the lyrics are great, but their the flow is not bad. JT, Hurley and Jock Maxi, the names are. I, I don't think their flow is bad. Uh, life Form, I, I couldn't believe the lyrics on Life Form. That, uh, a dream of a life where I'm respected for my fashion, yeah, and not my hair. I, I could not believe that. I, I was convinced it was a wind-up and I'd heard it wrong. I listened to it over and over again. I thought, no, I miss, I misunder, I'm misunderstanding what what they're saying here. I There's felt no that. Way those I, felt that. I was like, this, this is this is surely that they, they actually mean other things. Yeah. And it, I got to the point where I was listening to it thinking, it's like that principal skin and meme, like, am I out of touch? No, it's it's the band that are wrong. And it, 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 I was just listening to it thinking, like, I can't be this out of touch. Is this contemporary now? But I just feel... I've missed the boat. And I, I also, I don't know about you, man, like I am past it with the over-aggressive vocal stylings of, of the rapping. Like, like I've I got absolutely no issue with rap artists at all. But like I said, look, Win the Jewels is amazing. A lot of rap artists on my on, on my Spotify, but I'm not big on the, on the style and the cadence of these guys' um, vocals. The, the like, the, the deliberately deep, grumbling sort of uh, ah, over the top of stuff at the end of like syllables and sentences and stuff like man miss me with that because it, it just doesn't I just it doesn't fly it doesn't translate. I honestly I don't I don't know who this is supposed to appeal to unfortunately I do think I've missed the boat on both well I, I don't know a single person that I would think about this album be like oh xyz would love this album I, I can't think of a single one. You mentioned Armored Core. I think Armored Core sums up the entire problem with this album. There's there's a vocal line. You can disarm the alarm or, or, or <laughs> you could disarm the alarm or break down that wall. Now, a big unifying core like that should sound massive and make you want to run through hot coals. But it's it's all a bit boring and flat, isn't it? And it's got it's got a low tuned riff behind it, which again, for me and you, that should send that should send that should send stars through our mind. But it's the same low tuned riff that you've heard for the other three songs before Armored Core, and it turns up again consistently throughout the album. I think Turning Tables is probably 
the best song on the album. It's you know I do feel like that's where it's got you know a real skipping step. It's got like a low beat that sits underneath the mix, which I, I kind of like. Uh, the riff is once again in the same tuning, and it's the same style as all the others we've heard. But it it does sound uh, kind of harsh when it's pushed through that low beat that they've got going on underneath uh, the MC. It's the first moment of the record turning tables where I thought, right, okay, I suppose they have delivered with the force that I've expected. Hyper Dialect, which has got um, Aaron Matz from Betraying the Martyrs on, that is also a decent listen, but I think that's mainly down to him. I think his guest vocals and a sweet little shred sound that comes in after him works pretty well. The tracks bland everywhere else. I think Dogs of War is the one moment on the album where the lyrical attack is really good. The way that uh, I thought Dogs of War was the best song on the album. The way the way that they depict the, the happenings in Syria and, and and kind of war crimes across the world is quite capturing. And the overall message is obviously one that you know you would align with. So you know, Dogs of War is good. But <laughs> after Dogs of War, Ultima Dies comes in, which is one of the most strange interlude tracks I've ever heard. I'm not I've got no clue what they were going for. And then, dude, the album just does the same thing that it did for the other tracks again. Gent-style riff underneath, hard to, this, this kind of emceeing that's all right. But some of the lyrics are a bit like, what? And it doesn't really have like a particularly great mixture to it. And like you said, man, I, you know, if you, it's, if you're a Run the Jewels fan, you won't like this. This won't be good enough for you. And if you're a Meshuggah fan, you won't like this. It won't be good enough for you. So a great point that you made is this album would then become entry level, wouldn't it? This is this would be a great entry level for someone who was ho- who you, someone who you would hope would get into Rage Against the Machine or Limp Biscuit, and already likes Grime or already likes Gent. Then maybe this would be a good entry record for you. And like you, man, I don't want to you know, just can be, be absurdly harsh on activists because, you know, I, I liked Outside the Box. It was, it was a it was a good album. I, I remember enjoying listening to it. And, you know, I, I want every album I listen to to be something that I enjoy. And I don't want to sound like I'm just being a really, really horrible critic. But, man, I, I can't sit here and pretend I liked this when I didn't. I think this, I, th- I don't think this is a good album. This is, a, this is a long, long listen. And I listened to this on a train, right, for the first, the first time I listened to this, I was on a train, and when you're on a train, man, you you want something to keep you busy. But even then, this was a long, long listen, and the subsequent listens after it have been equally long. Not feeling this at all, man. Yeah, me neither. This was um, this was a disappointment. Let's close out the show before my interview with Elliot Lever comes in with Go Ahead and Die's self-titled album. It's out on June the 11th via Nuclear Blast Records. Go Ahead and Die is Max Cavalera and his son Igor Cavalera's death metal side project band. Max Cavalera is, of course, of Sepultura, Soulfly, Cavalera for Conspiracy and Killer Be Killed fame. Quick caveat here, Sam. Max Cavalera, absolutely one of the heroes of uh, 21st century metal and also 20th century metal because of how ridiculous uh, Sepultura were. But uh, in the 21st century, my God, Sam, Soulfly, Cavalera Conspiracy, Kill It Be Killed. The guy's amazing. The guy's incredible. It's quite a career, isn't it? Quite Unbelievable. I mean, um, he's... 
he's carved a career out even independent of the weirdest band circumstance of all time in Sepultura. Mm. Um, like without, I mean, Rings of Saturn, we talked about two weeks ago, I don't have a vocalist and that's still less weird than what's happened in Sepultura. Um, and yet Max Cavalera has, has carved out an incredibly impressive career out of a series of, of solo bands. Um, Utilising really, but I mean, this is a compliment to Mr. Cavalera, the same blueprint, um, every every decade, every decade. I know, I know what this was going to sound like. I I, I knew what ver- what version of metal I was going to get. I was going to get this like sludgy, thrashy. If you turned up Motorhead to like fifteen out of ten, sort of riff work with just this sort of guttural, gravelly um, vocal over the top, and that's exactly what you get. Um, and Max Cavalera has built a career out of that, on top of obviously being probably on the Mount Rushmore of 90s metal. I interviewed Max and Igor for Distorted Sound about this album. And one of the first things I put to him was the question that at this point, with what he's achieved, he can basically just have fun, right? And there's something about this record, Sam, that just screams fun at me, even, even despite its really dark subject matter and sound and i genuinely think that let's just remove sepulture from the conversation even if max cavalera's three bands were soulfly cavalera conspiracy and killer be killed i'd still be talking about him as one of the greats of the 21st century i think people people overlook soulfly back to the primitive it's a great album and I, I think at this point max cavalera has achieved so much that, that nothing can hurt him so he just does things that he fancies doing and that he thinks will be fun. This album was recording in the Amazonian desert with him, Igor, and a bunch of old school horror tapes. They're basically the house in Arizona, they kind of like section themselves away from society, took like old school 50s and 60s horror movies and just hung out, watched that and wrote this album. And it's this really fascinating timestamp of what old school death metal can be because this album is incredibly old school, but also it does have moments of real modernity to it. And I think that Igor Cavalera, Max Cavalera's son, has, to his absolute credit here, not been overshadowed. I feel like Igor plays a a particularly large role in this album. Literally, and they probably did this on purpose, right from the start, truckload full of bodies that you're immediately hit with that sludgy old school death metal sound and Igor comes bursting out the speakers with his vocal and that's probably done purposefully and immediately from that point you get how volatile a part he's going to be in this record. I don't think it's overshadowed at all here and a quick word for Zach Coleman, who the drummer who recorded this record without playing to a click track. I mean, how, how much more old school do you get than that? Yeah, and it, it feels exactly like that, doesn't it? It's a it's a rough and tumble record. It's a raw uh, slab of music that, as you say, has been clearly produced and written as a, eh, let's put this together type, you know, let's, let's have some fun with this type sort of project. And that is and that is clear. And and yet there is still there's still some real moments of of Cavalera magic here, littered throughout. I think some of the particular highlights. Um, for me, I thought I think I think Prophet's Praise is a terrific song. Yeah, um, I think that the, there's some incredibly uh, well structured riffs and and moments there where it, it transcends from the 
oh, this is good. This is, you know, heavy and, you know, it'll, it ticks a few boxes, but you're happy that it, happy as it trundles along. Um, and then Prophets of Pray kick in. And that's a genuinely great death metal song with real groove and darkness and bounce to it. I also think, I thought, I think Punish is really, really terrific as well. And obviously the title track, um, Go Ahead and Die, um, features some really, really terrific um, Max Cavalera riffs in because you, you can just tell. I mean, there's a, the tail at the end of the riff on Go Ahead and Die where he's clearly sliding along the top of the neck. Um, really nice um, and surprisingly dexterous because it's not really a, a Max Cavalera style to sort of play these um, multi-noted multi riffs at all. He's more, he's more of a chugger sort of riff, um, riff riff worker. And and that's that's the case here. I think this combines some of some of the classic Max Cavalera uh, ingredients. You know, it is punishing and slow and also it explodes with pace from time to time as well. Um, it is heavy and dark and punchy and grisly and it is exactly what is it intended to be from a man who, as you say, owes us nothing absolutely nothing and can continue to write whatever he likes as long as he gets back on tour and gets out there and does what he does what he feels he needs to do and this is another example of that i think this is really good in places i really really do i think this is i think this is this is impressive considering the circumstances too um and i think this is this is in parts a very good metal album do you still love hey max cavalera's obsession with punk music like rears its head regardless of what he does because I love yeah. it. Regardless of whatever Max Cavalera does, his his love of punk music will eventually find its way in there. Like there's a song on this called Worth Less Than Piss. And there's mm. like this, I know that it's Igor playing the bass, but there's a massive, massive punk influence on, on the way that song is structured. And there's also on Isolated, Desolated, Max Cavalera still got this unbelievably... He's sort of unbelievably intense guitarist, isn't he? Max Cavalera. And there's loads in this old school death metal album, there's loads of punk attitude thrown in. And there's the, the way the drums gallop across the middle eight in this track is really, really reminiscent of underground, like British punk. And I, I love how, regardless of the project that Max Cavalera's in, his punk influence will still shine. I mean, mate, some of the riffs that are on this album, you mentioned Prophets Prey, the tempo that that album, that that song starts up with is, mate, is really punishing. And Max Cavalera, just, he just never, ever takes his foot off the gas. There's such a stomp to his riffs throughout this whole record. There's like two breakdowns in Prophet's Prey. There's a, there's, a, there's a slow one that then leads yeah. into when he screams a slow but short suicide and he really like accents out the end of the, the, end of the word. And then it comes back in with these like foreboding background strings. My favourite track on the album is Punisher, which comes back after Prophet's Prey. Mate, Kerbell drum openings into Thrash Time Rhythm, feed it to me. Like, I'm all about it. Um, like, Max Cavalera's still got a great vocal as well. I don't think I've said that yet. I, I, him and Igor share vocal duties, but he's got this real, like, growl behind life despise you, death denies you. How much more death metal does it get than that? And then the halftime riff comes in, sledgehammer to the head start type stuff. But my favorite part of the whole record is at the end of Punisher, there's like these elongated guitar notes on the outro. Gives me big, yeah. big, big slipknot and cold orange horror vibes. And of course, like I'm all I'm all about that. And that's where I think like the album 
really it's old school death metal this is and that's what the record is but there there is it, it is contemporary as well and that's really cool man like from the moment you press play the the vocals are done in an echoed fashion behind sludge in front of sludge riffs and that's old school death metal and that's awesome but i also love how it keeps itself contemporary as well you mentioned go ahead and die the title track Yep, I'm all about that. I think Igor has a great vocal on, on this record and he really particularly stands out in that track. And, mate, Roadkill, the closing track, mate, that's six minutes and it's got two-step riffs. It's got thrashy explosions. It's got groove riffs. That, that closing six minutes is the kitchen sink of extreme metal and it's all amazing. I, 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 re- I think this album's great. I think it's really good. I think it's um I think I think it's pretty good. I, I think I think that it's got a, a whole a whole holistic collection of stuff here that reminds me of what an impressive songwriter and varied songwriter is within the brand of extreme metal that Mass Cavalera is. Um I think there were like I said, there were some some real moments on here that are incredibly impressive and that are hark backs to some of the best work that he's done, including Soulfire and obviously even before that, um, in the eighties and nineties. He's always been able to write a Max Cavalera riff is, is a very specific type of punishing and four four driven foot to the floor downcast sort of riff. And he's been able to pull my out for 30 years now and there's no, no chance of sort of relenting at that. Um, I think if you're a fan of the Cavalera style, then this is going to be another thing that you are going to lap up um, because it is just a, another raw punky, like you say, offering um, from a man who, has, has made a career out of just doing exactly that. That is where we are going to leave off episode 71 of the Noise Podcast before my interview with Elliot Lever comes in. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we are going to be back. I'm trying to think because of the way that I'm doing these episodes. So this episode will come out after my interview with Serena Cherry which is going to come out on the Friday before this episode releases. So this episode is going to be out on the 8th of June. And then our next episode, unless something big comes up that we that we feel like we can't possibly miss, our next episode will be the 22nd of June. After that, we should have a break on the 15th, unless something huge comes out. But Sam, the pace and ferocity that we've been doing episodes, that I can't possibly promise you that there might be an episode in between. However, um, if you've been listening to the Noise podcast, me and Sam have had the busiest year that we've had yet, and it really means a lot to us to see our subscriber count growing, the views growing. Our Gajira review is nearing a thousand views. That is crazy for me and Sam, considering we just we're just two best mates from Wolverhampton that like metal. Um, so thank you so much for your support. It really, really means a lot to us. If you are listening, thank you so much. Uh, be sure to click subscribe or follow us, depending on whichever service you are using. We are going to be back in two weeks' time. Right now is my interview with Elliot Lever, the Twitch streamer. We'll be back in two weeks. Thank you for listening. We love you. Bye. So I'm now joined by Elliot Lever, a Twitch streamer, Metal Hammer writer, music journalist, experience of all sorts. Dude, thank you so much for giving me your time, man. How are you? Yeah, not doing too bad. This is weird because I'm usually the one in your position. Yeah. I- I'm not used to doing interviews where I am the interviewee. Um, so, but it's, you know, it, it is what it is. This is one of those situations that I might have to start getting more used to. Matt, I tell you what, right. 
This is why the internet's great, because I've known who you are for, I want to say, two years. This is our first mm. conversation ever. Yeah, like, and that, mate, that's the beauty of the internet, right? Like, how, like if it was 1980, we would, this could never have possibly happened, man. People give the internet a lot of stick sometimes, especially for music in the current day and age, because of, obviously, there's less money for artists, is the general mm. idea. But we couldn't have possibly done this without it, so the interview gets stick, the internet yeah. gets stick, we should also give it credit as well. Oh, yeah, completely. You can't live with it. You can't live without it sometimes. And that's just the way things are, you know. Um, it, it, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now without it. Uh, it helps having grown up in this sort of situation that I've got a good grasp on it all as well. Uh, but yeah, yeah it, things like this as well, given the current global climate, we wouldn't have anything. We wouldn't be able to do this regardless. And there's so yeah. much stuff we wouldn't be able to do without it. So we've got to give it props as much as we'll moan about it on a daily basis. I guess the the best way for me to start this interview, I guess, is to let's go right back to the beginning. When was the first time that you remember really being like a music fan, as opposed to more than just it being background noise? The first time you really encountered music and thought, this is actually awesome. I'm a real fan of this band or this artist song, etc. So to go back a little bit further, I did not stand a chance at not getting into music. Right. It was always around at home. My parents saw many, many bands back in the days, both as a couple and separately. They've seen some bands that I'm jealous about them seeing to this day. They went and saw Status Quo when mum was pregnant with me. So right. technically I was going to gigs before I was even born. Foreigner were playing on the way back home in the car after I was born. The first song I ever remember hearing was um, all in real life was High Hopes by Pink Floyd from their Division Bell album. I was about two or three. It wasn't until I got into, it wasn't until I was about seven or eight that I, I guess I started to appreciate music a bit because my first major band was S Club 7. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, of course, exactly. I was never going to be, if, in, in a weird way, when people say, you're a, are you a this fan or a that fan? It was S Club 7 Steps. And yeah. I was always in the S Club 7, which was helped up by the TV show that they had at the time. Um, but... Rock and metal didn't really make an appearance for another three years. And my dad had this album called The Greatest Heavy Metal Album in the World Ever. And it, it first and foremost wasn't. But it got me, it introduced me to bands like Sabbath and Priest and Maiden and Motorhead and Megadeth and all of that sort of stuff. And then when I was 11, I found his copy of Fear of the Dark. And I thought, oh, I've heard of that band. They were on this compilation. I will give this a listen. So I nicked it ran upstairs to my room put it in my cd player sat back on my inflatable armchair uh because they were all the rage at that point <laughs> and it this first song of this album be quick or be dead kicks in with a, a fast pounding snare drum into a galloping guitar riff and then bruce dickinson comes over the top with his air with his classic air raid siren whale and my mind just went what is this i yeah. uh, blow into smithereens in 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 an instant and it was then that I started to go, no, this is the music that I really, really like. It would still take me a couple of years before I was fully getting invested into it. I'd say 14 was when I started to really branch out. But that was the moment I went, I don't want to, I don't really want to listen to much else. And I mean, times change, you know, that was 16 years ago now. I've, I've evolved. I listen to all sorts of music. But if you gave me a hundred quid to spend on records, I'm going straight to that metal section, you know? Well, you made like a good point then when you were talking about like S Club Seven um, and Steps because no one's first favorite metal band is Napalm Death, is he? No, and no like, no and the, the the thing for me was Green Day, right? Like Green Day kickstarted the first band that I ever really fell in love with, and then it was like You Meet Six and All Time Low, 
I was like massive in on pop punk before I got anywhere near metal. And I think there's a little bit of elitism in metal sometimes, isn't there? With it's where it's like, who's your favourite band and who was the first band you fell in love with? And I think who, that like you name three songs by the band that you claim <laughs> yeah. to really love. Yeah, and I think that like music is such a broad spectrum that who cares where you got in? If the first music artist that you loved was Steps or S Club Seven, that doesn't make that makes someone who's first music band they ever love Metallica makes them no better than you it, it, what difference does it make? you all ended up in the same place anyway what difference does it make how you got there it's really exactly. weird to me I know I identify two sorts of music the music that I like and the music that I don't yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and I've got no trouble listening to something that's a million miles away from metal as I do listening to I don't know Sanguasuga Bog for <laughs> yeah. example yeah um, and like everybody everybody has to start somewhere and you're right nobody gets into metal through Napalm Death they get into metal through the classic bands that their parents brought them up with or if they find it at school it's going to be whatever's big at the time like you you know i'm my late 20s so most people that might that were my age were finding the new metal buzz at the beginning mm-hmm. of the millennium uh, for me personally you mentioned green day i just i can remember the, the, you couldn't go anywhere in school for about a year without hearing something from American Idiot. Cool, yeah, man. And, that, and, this, the, and the, the imagery and, as well, the hand, the grenade in the hand yeah, everywhere. And, man. Then, and then my dad my dad heard Boulevard of Broken Dreams and went, oh, I like that, so he bought the single. And then he bought the album, and then I nicked it off him. And it, it just kind of continues from there. Um, but you do, And then you start to hear about all the other bands that people are into, and you want to go and experience them. And you want to... It, it was it was almost a weird sort of... The other thing that's really weird is that I never really fit in at school. I was never bullied, per se. I was never bullied, but I was never the most popular kid. So I found my music off the people that I kind of attached myself to. But as they grew up and their, for them, it definitely became a phase is the wrong word. But as they grew up, they found other music and they found their own identity. And I kind of immediately rebelled against that. I went, well, you're listening to this sort of stuff and I don't want to follow you guys and follow this music path anymore. So I got into more metal. It was kind of my own sort of self-rebellion. Um, I mean, obviously, like I said, times change. I listen to a huge amount now. It's not, it's rare for me to have a top 20 at the end of the year that doesn't have one album that's completely outside mm. of our, of our <clears throat> metal alternative remit. Uh, but it get but that sort of instant rebellion gave me that reason to go no i'm going to forge my own identity by being by continuing to listen to the stuff that you guys are clearly discarding i think the first obsessive band is really important though and was yours maiden that you were like i want to hear everything this band has ever done i want to read all the lyrics i want to find who the vocalist is i want to find out where they're from my first obsessive artist overall was michael jackson Oh, awesome! Massi- right. Massively, right. I um, yeah, I was I I remember one day at home being bored and learning how to moonwalk in five minutes. And between That's the awesome. ages of about between the age of about fourteen and sixteen, seventeen, I was like this Michael Jackson kid at school. Where I actually had a ticket right to see him at the O2 oh. on one of the original ten dates. When he died, because it's like it was probably the it was when social media was really starting to kick in. So it was probably the first major celebrity death we'd had at that point. People were going, obviously mental online, everywhere was crashing, texts were going around. I had people texting me going, I heard Michael Jackson died and I thought of you, are you doing okay? Yeah. I've been sat there for two hours watching it. My parents took five minutes to reflect on his legacy, then turned to me and went, right, how are we gonna get the money back for your ticket? <laughs> I, there was no chance to kind of stop with it, but he was my first kind of like major music idol, regardless of 
everything that people might think about him as a person, and I agree, he was a weird bloke. His music's timeless. Yeah. And, and again, there's my first example <clears throat> of separating art from artist, because you cannot you cannot mess with some of those songs, you know. Mm. Uh, as I got into university, though, my my shift in, in like my top three or whatever changed. So it went from Michael Jackson to Pink Floyd to and Dragon Force to Michael Jackson, Pink Floyd, Iron Maiden. Then Iron Maiden went to the top. Jacko disappeared down a load as I found other metal bands and started to appreciate them. Whilst I still love him, I couldn't put him anywhere near my top 10 right uh, anymore because of who I've discovered over, you know, what seems like a relatively short period of time in 10 years, but there's just been so much more access to it. I fully maintain that my Spotify account, my Spotify uh, premium is the best 10 pounds I spend. Oh month. yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, cause and, and again, I get the problems with Spotify. Believe me, I do, but I don't, you don't have access to such a music range as you do with that. And until, and, and but once they find somewhere that will do that, it's do what Spotify do but pay bands better, that's where I'm going. You know what I'm yeah. saying? But at the minute I've got, I've, I, I'm kind of, my hands are tied, particularly in a situation as, as a journalist where you have to have that instant access to be able to listen to as much as you can in the space of a calendar year. But the thing is though, I mean, you are open with that you love Spotify and couldn't live without it, neither could I, but mm. we, I don't want to speak for you. I think we both put our money where our mouth is in the sense of, I bought Fortitude by Gajira. Like, if there's an album that comes out that I like, I'll buy it on vinyl. And uh, and when that tour comes around, I'll go on the tour and I'll buy the merch. So, Spotify yeah. gives me that instant gratification. But I still, I still support bands that I want to support. The same way, oh, yeah. if, if Spotify would have never been invented, I'd still have the same vinyl collection as I've got on my left now. Because they're the bands that I love and want to support. So, mm. even if Spotify hadn't been invented my vinyl collection wouldn't be any bigger because I, I wouldn't support the bands regardless. So yeah. I think I think the problem with Spotify only comes from the people that claim to have an issue with Metal's lack of superstars, but then use a Spotify account and do nothing else for Metal. I think that's, yeah. my personal opinion, is that's yeah, where no, the problem is. That, that I agree. And I think the other thing that I love about it is that Back in the day, because I, because you could, you, I mean, you could see the audience can't see, but to, on my left hand side here, I've got a full two, I've got two two meter high CD towers that are completely yeah. full. Uh, I still love buying CDs because there's something so, there is something so primal and wonderful about going into a store, having something physical, and then going home with it and not being able to listen to it until you get home and you've got the means to do it. It's the mm. same with the vinyl collection that I'm slowly growing as well. But Back in the day, if you only had a weekly allowance or whatever, you had to really pick your album. And if you got it wrong, then you're stuck with that for a week until yeah. and have to try and like it. Whereas now, if I hear an album and I really don't like it, I've lost an hour. It's 24 yeah. hours in a day. I've lost an hour. I don't have to listen to it again. Let's go listen to something I actually like. Unless, of course, I'm reviewing it, in which case it's about five or six plays later and I've lost three hours. But again, in the grand scheme of things, it's, you know, it's, not, it's, it's less than a week. So I kind of I can deal with that with that side of things a lot better. And Spotify gives me that access for it. But I know there are problems with it and I'm not about to turn a blind eye to all of that. But you're right. It's it's one of those things, isn't it? Me and you are the same age, I think. I'm 28 and you I'm, said you were... You said you were late 20s. I was 29 last Friday. Right, okay. Uh, so we're, we're, we'll call ourselves the same age. So secondary school was kind of interesting for me because I wasn't paying attention to metal like at all in mm. secondary school. Um, it was Green Day in year seven. This is the greatest thing of all time. Got kind of obsessed. And then when for me in secondary school, it was very much like 
I want to play football now and I want to meet my first girlfriend kind of thing. And that and everything else was secondary. Um, but for you, if you were kind of paying attention at that point, that was when Trivium, Bullet for My Valentine, Kill String Gage and Avenged Sevenfold were all really bursting through. Were you... Did you get caught on by that? Were you paying attention to it at all? Because I, I wish I was now, because that was a really fascinating timestamp for metal, I think, and it completely went past me. I was a little bit. I mean, it's, it's like you as well. I, I, I am still football mad, mm. um, and I, I would, I would constantly play football whilst listening to the records. And it was again that was my, th that was the weird thing about me because my music lot wouldn't play football, and my football lot wouldn't listen to the same music I was. So yeah. I was always bouncing between the two. Green Day hit me, Green Day hit us in 2004, end of 2004, 2005 was when I really remember Green Day. The following year, though, you couldn't move for the Black Parade. No, no, of course. Oh, my God, my chem, I completely forgot about my chem. Black Parade was the big one. And then in 2007, which was when I first heard Dragon Force, they did a, they did a tour across the UK called the Black Crusade. Right, which was co-headlined by Machine Head and Trivium, and it had Dragon Force, Arch Enemy, and Shadows Fall on the bill. And as you rightfully said, Trivium at the time were touring the Crusade, Machine Head were touring the Blackening. I didn't go to that one. Uh, I was meant to, and then the guy who I was going to go with went, I don't listen to a huge amount of metal anymore, so I'm not. So I said, fine, I won't go. And then he ended up going. He bought a ticket like two weeks uh... before he was due to go, and I've never forgiven him for it. <laughs> but 2007 as well was when I first saw Renta Shikari, ah. who I... Really, who I will, I will die on this hill if I need to. I think they're the biggest breath of fresh air that the UK music industry has produced in the 21st century so far, and that includes bands like Bring Me the Horizon and all the brilliant stuff that we've got coming up at the minute. And I was at the, I can remember being kind of at the start of that period where you had almost like that scene kid call that also included bands like Hadouken and uh, Pulled Apart by Horses, yeah, um, and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but and then. 2008, Slipknot came back with All Hope Is Gone, and Metallica came out with Death Magnetic, um, and then, and, and the, again, and the, by that point you had, by that point I was interested in going to Download Festival, I was starting to keep track of the festivals, and I was buying Metal Hammer on a monthly basis. So I kind of managed to take it all in from there. Um, but yeah, so I think between the age of about, so yeah, 14 to 16, it kind of all exploded, but it wasn't until... It wasn't until I could properly get my, until I had more of an income or something that I could really start, you know, buying music again. Uh, but that's how that's how I found it all, you know, and I've never looked back. Quick word on Shikari there, because they do get, they've got a big fan base, but Shikari do get a bit of stick sometimes. And obviously no such band is for everyone, but I tell you what, I would love to airdrop someone into a peak Shikari show. And what I mean by that is, I was at Reading 2014, right. when Shikari was, uh, I think they played third on the main stage. And yeah. to this day, I've never been in a, in a gig atmosphere, anything like it. It was like, it, the, the literal, the field exploded when Shikari came out. It felt like you were really part of a movement. And Ray Reynolds on the stage making speeches about the NHS and that was before I was really into politics really yeah, in yeah. 2014 I was like 21 I didn't really understand politics or, or try to at that point I'm much more interested now but this felt like a real beacon at that time of, of, it felt like you were part of a real movement and you made a really good point man how many, how, how, how many other bands in the 21st century that are British have mm. felt like that it's a small mm. list man Exactly. Also, out of interest, I mean, I know you're the same age as me. What you did? You turn eighteen in two thousand and ten, like I did. 
yeah. No, I was 17 in 2010. So you turned turned 18 in 2011. See, that's why neither of us were political because I was two weeks too young to vote in 2010 and we didn't get to vote until 2015. So so we had to deal with all the politics that were around us but couldn't do anything about them. Yeah. Um, But it was, I mean, Shikari in 2013, uh, Rao been on stage with an NHS Not Trident shirt on. Uriah had been doing all of those uh, political, uh, the political speeches. You mentioning that has given me, I can feel the goosebumps because last, no, two years ago, the soggiest download I've ever been to, they headlined the third stage. They decided to do a really small third stage headliner. And when they played, um, don't want to take my, uh, don't want to take my country back, that crowd, I nearly burst into tears. It was so good. And they are just one of those bands that can bring that atmosphere and their fan base is so rabid. And it's why for all that I listen to so much heavier music and why I listen to so much more gnarly stuff nowadays, they're in my top five bands of all time because I was, I've watched them grow. I've watched them grow from this small band playing a 400 capacity venue in Gloucester, going all the way up to watching them sell out Ali Pali with a quadraphenic sound. Yeah. And they'll go, but they'll go above and beyond that as well. I'm sure of it. Did they clash with Slayer that year? Because I didn't see them that year. I was there. I, th- I think, off the top of my head, I think they may have clashed with Slayer. And it was it was Slayer's last ever UK show. They and I was like, I can't, I can't miss this. might have clashed with Slayer. It was... Um, no, uh, no, I think they won early. Because they, they clashed with Smashing Pumpkins. It was, it was sub-headlining. Cause, uh, but um, Slayer's UK show was um, clashing with Tool. So, yes, it was Tool that I missed. That was it. It was Tool um, that I missed to see Slayer. Uh, yeah. And I was just there like, well, I'm seeing I'm seeing both from next week at Hellfest, so I'll go and watch Tool and I'll get Slayer that time. So I got that's Slayer's awesome. last France show instead. Oh, that's so, awesome. But yeah, uh, it, when we talk about Shikari, yeah, there aren't too many bands who can, who have done it to the, into, who have done it in such a mainstream way as Shikari has. Like, no, you can, every single band can talk about politics and they can rage on it. But you, uh, but Shikari now have the platform where uh, that's so established that they can get their voices out to much to a much wider audience than a lot of other bands can, and I think that's what really helps them in that situation. Because you know, or if you've got if you've got songs, I mean, even back, I think the songs don't when they're singing. Yeah. Sometimes I do wish apples we are currency, so all your hordes of millions could rot in their vaults, and it's just so. Again, in, in today, it's so venomous. Yeah. The amount of spite and poison that's just delivered in those lines. They're, they're just such a special band. I want to talk to you quickly about Dano because okay. I, I believe you were in the chat that Bees had with Andy Coffin. I believe I saw your name pop up in the comments mm. on Bees' Twitch channel. Yeah. Um, and you, I think you asked him what his greatest ever lineup was or, yes, or something along those lines. I, um, they didn't get around to asking Mike, to answering my question, but I, I typed in, I was like, Andy, I'm not, I know you're not going to look into a crystal ball for me, but what if in the next 10 years we don't make any more band superstars? What are you going to do? Would you, would you consider making download two days? Um, now, you are, a, you are like an avid festival goer. You're, you're in the music industry, you're a music journalist. Um, what do you think about the current state of play in terms of, like metal superstars because Gajira is a good example and people who've listened to the noise podcast just will have heard me say this before but it's a point that I have to make I love Gajira and Gajira are like amazing but the last UK tour was in academies Gajira can't headline download 
Like, I'm, and I love Gojira. They're amazing. And Fortitude finished sixth in the UK chart. And that's a great start. But Gojira can't headline download because they're playing academies in the UK. And until we change that, Andy Copping can't try and change that because the download festival lineup reflects us, what we choose to be popular, right? Um, are you worried about downloading 2031 or maybe even 2026? No, I'm not worried in the sense of I still think it'll be going. I just think it'll be smaller. And yeah. there's no, there's no worry. There's no prop. There's no shame in that happening. You know, 2026, we won't have Maiden anymore. That I can, that I can vouch for. I would imagine if they're still going in 2026, I will eat my own shoes. <laughs> um, we won't have ACDC. We might still, we will probably still have Metallica. We'll probably still have Slipknot. We will. I would imagine. I don't have. I don't think that download is in any danger because it's got the reputation behind it. Um, and if they have to take a punt on a on a band that hasn't done an arena tour before, then so be it. They will. They just might have to take a knock on. They just might have to reduce the capacity so they could keep the finances going. Um, but also, I don't think. I think that by that point, we'll have a few more bands as well. I hope I think, so. I think Gajira will be up there. I don't see any reason why they won't be doing arenas over here uh, next time they finally tour. Same with Trivium, um, Parkway Drive. I know you're wearing the t-shirt, but they're up there. Ghost are up there. Bring me if they want to do something. If they want to, if they want to do a Muse and play a set close to their heavier stuff, they could headline download any day of the week. Um, Avenged have got another good album in them. There are some bands that are there at the moment. Avenged are one of them. Um, Biffy Clyro will be there for a while. You could take a punt on bands like Green Dead. Well, again, Green Dead have to probably do something special nowadays. Um, but Foo Fighters still haven't headlined. Pearl Jam still haven't headlined. Bon Jovi still haven't headlined. And I don't care. I know that Bon Jovi are a heritage band, but you try telling me you wouldn't want to be singing Living on a Prayer. Oh, you know, mate, yeah. Absolutely off your face at half ten on a Sunday night. Mate, it's the best yeah. way to end a festival. You know what I'm it saying? It is. I think that. I think there's still a wide enough pool and I think bands are going to step up, um, whether financially or whether because there's just too much noise being made about them that copping has to go right, bang, you have to know we've got to take this on board. Um, and that's that's the way I look at it. If it's smaller in size and it's about 40, 50,000, then so be it. But I think download will continue for as long as it can until, until, they feel, until the organisers feel they can't take it any longer, which... I don't see that happening, really. No, I mean, I, I can't see a world when where download no longer download no longer exists. I think there's a chance that it might have to drop a day, uh, and that is pure that that is purely because so when yeah. when so Maiden Maiden retire in twenty twenty four or twenty twenty five. Kiss are already gone, thankfully. Um, Def hey, Leppard. Hey, we're gonna fall out in a minute. <laughs> uh, that, that, uh, that live show, I saw that at Hellfest. It was unbelievable. If you don't like their music, then fine. And I can I could get that. But no. you can't knock that live show, man. That live show is something is something else. Oh, uh Ramstein will probably be gone by then as well. Yeah. So like tw come twenty twenty five, I think Def Leppard will be gone. Mm -hmm. Maiden will be gone Kiss will mm -hmm. be gone Aerosmith are obviously already gone Black Sabbath are already gone and Metallica if they're not gone by 2026 I think we are looking at seriously maybe one more download for Metallica and I think what Metallica will probably do I don't know whether you've seen what they do in the US they're doing like two nights at a festival 
I think what Metallica will probably do is bear out on a two-night download, and let's be honest, the fans wouldn't moan. In fact, I would pay, th- I would pay <laughs> four, I would pay four hundred pound to see Metallica play five hours, <laughs> no problem. I wouldn't care. No, they've played downloads since two thousand and twelve. Yeah, that's a I, mammoth amount of time. Yeah, they won't play until twenty twenty-three. If they wanted to come in and go right, we're doing this set on the first day, this set on the second, and this set on the third, and we'll never play download again. I'll be like, fine. Yeah, just do that. Let me see them another. three three times and then i can deal with the aftermath absolutely you know, people would people would rightfully complain but oh someone us, would yeah some, some of us wouldn't care oh, mate i'd pay 400 pounds for that easy <laughs> then you'd um, have you me and eighty thousand other people who wouldn't care and would still be in front of them mate um so so yeah like by 2024 2026 metallica will probably be winding down as well or they will definitely have done the last album like surely so that then gets us to a point where like you we're naming bands here and it's like okay like parkway drive one of my favorite bands i absolutely love them could they bring 40,000 people into a festival? I, I don't think so. I think that's probably a stretch. Ghost aren't there yet. Gajira aren't there yet. Bring me. Maybe. Bring me, maybe. I think Bring Me would have to... The proof would be in the pudding with Bring Me, wouldn't it? We'd have to find out. We'd have to try it and see. Architects, the same as Bring Me. We'd have to try it and see. So then it gets to, right, Avenged and Slipknot. Well, we already made Avenged and Slipknot superstars. They're, we already know they can headline download tomorrow, no problem. But then, obviously, the pool starts running thin, doesn't it? So that's where it becomes, okay, do we have to drop, do we have to make download go over two days? Because we've just you? got less of a selection. I mean, they could always do what Sonosphere did and have two and a half. Yeah. The first, first two Sonospheres, they opened up for three days, but for the first... In 2010, the first, the main stage was closed, and in 2011, the and 2014, the second stages and the second stage was closed on the Friday. So there were less bands, and you turned up at like doors opened at like one, but the first, but the arena didn't open until five, and then you just had like half a day with a couple of bits and bobs, and that could easily work as well because it worked really well for Sonosphere. So I don't see any problem with doing that. If they have to go down to two days, then fine. Um, the only, the uh, I mean, the only unknowns are the only unknown that you've said is obviously we don't know what's going to happen with these bands. Mm. You know, yeah. for all we know, you said that Partway couldn't bring forty thousand to download. I reckon they could if it was a one-off show there. Um, I still think they'd have to sub first, but I don't see any reason why they couldn't headline it outright or even as a co-headliner. That's the other thing we've not talked about: co-headliner, yeah. co-headliner. And if Download are continuing to have Download Paris. Then it's a simple case of you could you could easily do a download and a download Paris, which had Gajira and Ghost on the same day, and Ghost finished off the day in the UK, and Gajira da- finished off the day in France in front of their home fans, and that would work superbly. Yeah, yeah, um, that's a good but one. they've got to get that sort of they've got to have that sort of um, dynamic going because that's how it works at uh, Reading and Leeds because they've got two festivals with the same lineup, they can just flip the headliners on each day, and it and everyone's ha- left happy. Um, because regardless of whether you say that bands are co-headlining or not, because Download have already added copies to rightfully turn around and said, well, 2009, we had Whitesnake and Def Leppard co-headlining. But everyone went, yeah, but Def Leppard were really headlining that, weren't they? Because mm-hmm. they were on last. It's just the way that, unfortunately, loads of people will see it. So, um, but co-headlining <laughs> is, is another possible way forward. And also, we- I, and also, people our age just crying out for a cool Deftones co-headline, aren't they? That's yeah, the yeah. Um, and, and we are approaching that tipping point, aren't we? I think of where like we're not there yet, but in a couple of years, it's really going to be the case of like I think download twenty twenty four's lineup 
because I know Andy Coppin said that his 2023 <laughs> headlines are almost in the bag already. Mm. Uh, so I think 2024's lineup is going to be a real pivotal moment mm. for download in terms of where where we go. Because as I said, we're going to start running. I just think the ban lists are going to start running out then. So it will be interesting to see at that point mm. where down the direction that Andy Coppin chooses to take. Um, I did want to uh, branch off a little bit. Um, yeah, sure. There's. There's being a music fan and then there's being a music journalist and those are two completely different worlds. When did you get into it? Uh, what made you want to start writing about it? Uh, so at university, I did drama with creative writing and that gave me an insight into how to write with a bit more of a flair than I usually would. And around the same time, I started to put a scrapbook together of all of my gig tickets. And the way it used to work was until I decided that I was doing too much writing about music at that point and, and just started again was I'd have the gig ticket in there, I'd review all the bands. By this point, I've read Metal Hammer and Kerrang! for a good, for th between three and five years. Uh, and one per and I'd been mulling over the idea of starting to write about it. And then somebody said to me, oh, I write for this website, this uh, music metal website called Planet Mosh. Uh, they've just opened their ranks. Here's an email address, send them a message. So I sent them a message and I was with you know, and I and they basically accepted me straight off. And I started review. I did my first review in the summer of 2012. And from then on, I just again, I just kind of fell in love with it. I think there was firstly, it was a way for me to use my creative skills outside of my university degree, which is always a big thing for me. And secondly, there's something still so exciting about getting a new album weeks before anybody else yeah, can listen yeah. to it. Yeah. You feel so privileged and so so wonderful for having it i reviewed I, i'll never forget the day and i'm pretty i can i'm sure i can say this now because it's been eight two years i reviewed we are not your kind for distorted sound yeah yeah and it was the first album that i'd had come through with a completely different name on it to make sure that it didn't leak out it wasn't it wasn't given as a file of slipknot we are not your kind it was given under a completely different thing and there's something about that that makes you feel so so it's such a privilege and I've yeah. never tried to take that privilege for granted. Whenever I've done, had an album, whenever I've done an interview, whenever I've gone to particularly a music festival as press or a gig where I know I've got in for free and I know that I'm, and I know that there are people there who are paying their money. I want to make sure that I am conducting myself in a way that's professional because I'm technically at work. I'm yeah. not here to get smashed and have a good time. I'm here to to stand back and write a review. You know, yeah. and that's the way I've always taken it. But I got into it through that. And it was just from then on, I was just in a, in a dream world. You know, being able to interview bands that I've been fans of for donkey's years, being able to see the workings of a press area at a festival, being able to walk into a gig and just be able to stand there and know that I've got been given this opportunity because of because people trusted me to do it and going away and writing about it afterwards. It's been such a wonderful experience and I hope to continue it for as many years as I can going forward. You know, I don't think I'm ever going to drop out writing about music because I love it so much. The only the only downside to it now is that I watch a band and even when I'm watching a band as a fan, I still start reviewing it in my head. Yeah, I've got, yeah. I've got too used to it. Buy a ticket and I'm usually like, no, this is a night where I'm not doing it because I bought a ticket as a fan. And I'll stand there and I'll go... Oh, they should be doing this. The lighting could be a bit better. The sound's not so good. And I'm like, no, stop reviewing it. You're here to enjoy it, you fool. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the only pain I have with this sort of thing at times. But it comes, comes with the territory, doesn't it? 
but it's not just obviously now you're a Twitch streamer and we'll get into that but you yeah, yeah. also have like compared Metal Knights as well haven't you yeah I do I help out with Bristol's Metal to the Masses um, which is basically my excuse of being a prat on stage for four minutes at a time uh, having done my drama and having loved to be an actor and I've always loved being on stage I, I've never been able to play an instrument and I know you can see the guitars that are to this side in my mirror, but I play guitar badly. I sing even worse. Um, and you've always wanted to, I've always stood there and gone, God, I'd love to be up on that stage and performing to everybody, but I know my place. And doing Metal to the Masses was actually really important for me because it gave me that outlet that I wasn't getting anywhere else, really. And at the same time, I was doing something where I was supporting the local scene, where I was pushing bands out there. And I want to continue to do that. The UK has not only got a brilliant emerging scene, it's got a phenomenal underground as well. And so many bands are coming through. And like we've rightfully said, it's even more important now, but we've got to go out and support those bands in whatever way we can. And I really will try and support my local scene as much as possible. It's not always possible. I'm not going to be able to get to every single gig that's on in Bristol on every single given night, you know. But I do try to go to as many as possible because even if, there's, even if I'm the only fan, that's in that building. If I go and I find someone new, then I know I've got someone that I can promote thereafter. And if that reaches only one person, I've done my job. But it's they, you know, they've doubled their fan base off one show. Yeah. Or you know, two people of two extra people have liked their band, and that's the way it goes sometimes. But yeah, metal to the masses is it's just a load of fun. Being able to meet bands, being able to network with them, give them the chance, and a lot of them get on really well with each other, and they go off and tour together afterwards. It's, it's just such a laugh. So we've had, I, I got up on stage once to introduce a band and completely forgot their name. I, love I was that. on That's I awesome. was on stage and I literally it just went completely blank and the guitarist had to lean into me and ask and tell me what the name what the name was of the band. You know, amazing. I got I got ridiculed. I still get ridiculed for that. Now, that is amazing. What's even funnier is that now that we've come back to do the one-off show to try and get to Bloodstock this year, they're playing it again, and we're never. I'm never going to live it down. But it's so funny that you've just got all these little moments and things happen that you don't expect and you have to think on the ball a bit. And again, it's looking behind the music industry. It's, it's pulling back that curtain and going, right, this is what we've got to do. How are we going to promote this? How are we going to make sure the bands are happy? What do we have to do on the day? What does everyone else have to do? It's it's just, it's. I love to learn about the music industry and that's what this has also afforded me the, the possibility to do, you know? I don't mean to sound like me and you are some kind of like heroes or anything like that. And I know the situation is slightly oh, yeah, different. <laughs> slightly, slightly, I know the situation is slightly different for you now, but I think the the effort that goes into what what we do sometimes is slightly overlooked. And again, I'm not yeah. saying we're some kind of working class heroes or anything like that. Well, no. You know. Oh, you were talking about Slipknot's We Are Not Your Kind, how like that was like a re you felt so privileged and yeah. not not to the same extent, but I got cold oranges underneath for distorted sound. Yeah. And I remember I came home from work at half past five and I was like, oh my God, it's landed in my inbox and Code Orange is one of my favourite bands and I think underneath is like this genius album that's a really incredible, incredible piece yeah. of hardcore new metal and everything else that Code Orange do. And the excitement that I felt this set on for the first time, and it was early, was amazing. But, dude, like, it's slightly different for you now, but we'd work, you, I work 40, 45 hour weeks and then come home and review music. You have to love this to do mm. it right. It, because music journalism now, 
it's not like it was, I guess, in 95, where there's a bunch of terror block offices of music magazines. That world doesn't exist anymore. No. Um, so a lot of music journalism now, I want to say, a rough estimate is 85% is virtual and remote and people doing it as well as doing a 40-hour-a-week job. You have to love this to be yeah. able to do it. And I think that does get lost on people sometimes where it's like, oh, you get an album early, of course, you think that's cool. Well, not necessarily, it's not just that. It's also the five to six times of listening and then the one to two hours, possibly sometimes more if you get a brain freeze of putting the review together it is a second job that we that most of us don't get paid for right yeah and it's it's also difficult when you had someone like me where i was working i mean i actually had it a little bit easier towards the end i'll get onto that but when you've worked in front of a screen for eight hours a day you don't want to come home and then start writing on a screen mm -hmm. again because it, mm -hmm. eventually it feels too much like work what really helped me out was eventually where I did work because I worked in finance before until March of this year was they allowed us to listen to music whilst we were at work oh, so God. that was brilliant for me because then I'd get an album through I'd load it onto my i onto my iPod because I still have an iPod classic because you know can't can't get rid of it don't want to <laughs> yeah. uh, but also um you know you get the album on stream you'd stick it on your phone you'd stick your phone in you'd listen to it whilst you were working and if you're having a slow day you can listen to the album a few times make notes as you would go maybe even write the review up and i used to regularly write the reviews at work on my lunch break send them email send them to me at home and then go once i've got home it's in my inbox copy and paste it into the into the software and everything done and i didn't have to yeah. worry about it again obviously it's different it's different nowadays um, but you have to love it. And there does get up to a point where if you feel that your writing's not good enough or you're struggling with something else, then it can feel like a proper chore. And I've been, I'm not afraid to admit there have been so many times where I felt like I've fallen out of love with music because it's just felt like it's it's just not been get it's not hit me at the right moment or anything like that. It passes, but every journalist goes through that stage where they're like, Do you know what? This is really getting to me. Um, I don't have the excitement anymore because it does almost feel too workmanlike. It doesn't feel anymore like it's a proper, it's, it's, you're doing it for the love of it, you know? And again, you're right. It, it, a lot of us do it as a passion project. A lot of it do it because we love to do it and we don't mind not getting paid for it because we just love to do it and love to promote bands. Um, and again, that can start to, if that can start to get grind on somebody and it, and I imagine it grinds on a lot of people, whether they want to say it or not that they're doing something and they're not getting paid for it, even though they love it. And that's just, that's just human nature. You know, that's not, it's not, that's not because people aren't gracious of what they've got. It's just the way people are. Yeah. I mean, I, I've got an insane, insane amount of respect for bees. Uh, I think oh, he, yeah. he's probably the most important music journalist that I've ever, uh, I've ever come across like, on the internet. I found like him and Stephen Hill. Uh, I found just countless bands um, because of those mm -hmm. two, and also uh, had a very very interesting perspective on certain bands uh, because of those two. Uh, specifically with Bees, because of the step he's taken that you have now moved on to uh, as well. Um, so I, I think you might, uh, by the looks of how you two interact, you may know Bees personally. By the I, looks I've, of things, I've known Bees. I've known Bees. I've been following Bees for over a decade. I think he's the best music journalist in the world and I wouldn't be listening to the bands I do without him and I've always found his opinions to be really strong. We we do know each other personally to an extent. Um, we've both interacted on a number of occasions. We've met each other once or twice, um, both before and after he moved to LA. 
Um, and you know, I do, I do the odd bit of work. I, I, I've guested on his Twitch before and everything yeah. like that. And I've got, I've got all the time in the world. And I'm so thankful for him that he's kind of been plugging me wherever he can in, in the comments and everything it, it, on his Twitch stream and everything like that. Um, but yeah, he's just almost got that same sort of the, the energy of the man is what I really want to be able to yeah. emulate within my own work. I mean, I, I can't sit still for five minutes sometimes it's really difficult sometimes for me to sit to sit still i've got to try i've got to be doing something mm. i can't sit down and just listen to i can sit down and concentrate on an album but i'm knackered afterwards even if it's only 45 minutes long because i put so much energy into it um and i want to be able to have that same sort of energy with everybody you know work regardless of what we're into all the work that i do you know and then that way i can that way i um and then trying to get that balance i'm trying to get that balance right at the moment where i'm getting all that energy into it uh, and then I can have my downtime afterwards where I don't have to really worry about something and I can just sit down and throw something on Netflix and I don't have to worry anymore. But the infectious nature of him, the fact that he's so knowledgeable, the mm. way he interviews where it's just a conversation and he's made a couple of notes, but he's letting the conversation flow. Of course, I look to him as a massive influence and a role model to me. Um, and I, I'm just so thankful that the work that he's done has inspired me to do the work that I have done, still do, and will continue to do in the future. So you see Bees has made this step into going like full on the, the Twitch yeah. channel, which, which I which I really respect. And I remember when, when he was on That's Not Mel, he was talking about moving to LA. I, I, you know, I'm thinking this guy walking around Wolverhampton waiting for a bus to take him home. I'm like, man, and that is a, such a bold step mm. to just put your whole life on I'm going to go to LA and live in LA because that seems like a great idea and I love that more specifically towards you Bees starts running this Twitch channel which is brilliant and I'm on there whenever I get chance was that the first time was seeing him do it and seeing how successful he was with it the first time that you thought this is interesting maybe I could do something myself or were you thinking of it was it already in the works prior anyway before you saw Bees do it so well it was something that I've been thinking of doing. I mean, I, I've doing something like this is what I've always wanted to do, certainly for the last number of years on a full time basis. And I've always said, I don't mind if I'm only just earning enough money to pay all my bills, keep a roof over my head and put food on my table. Because if I'm doing something I love, that's the most important thing. When I was working at my old job, I was getting paid a good wage, but I wasn't enjoying it. Mm. And so I was finding that enjoyment through spending on whatever I could and you know it gives you that brief temporary joy of cool I've got this brand new thing and then it was fading away um there was already an idea of me going freelance in some way shape or form twitch was never initially part of it um so I guess I guess in answer to your question it's twofold then not yes seeing bees go do what he did on twitch and actually seeing other people do what they do on twitch was partly where I went oh I reckon I could do this but I had already had the idea of doing everything on a full-time freelance basis anyway luckily I got an opportunity through work that I was able to do that and you know two months later after leaving there here I am about to you know just kind of start to dip my toes in and get myself stuck into it all so it's easy to making a twitch channel is easy yeah uh, getting the logo designs for Elliot Lever is easy um yeah. but walking into the manager's office with a notice in your hand for that you're leaving in 28 days and putting it on the desk 
Now that's difficult, that bit is. Because that's where the you really are rolling the ball down the track. Um, wh- how did you push yourself into knowing that was the right call? Because, I mean, I, I love my job, so... Mm. I, I I would never want to really because I'm very fo- I'm very fortunate. I, I love my job, but for yourself who didn't maybe not hated your job but thought I want to do this instead, walking away from that guaranteed monthly income that's a bold step. Talk to me about thought process and what motivates you to think no, I'm definitely doing this and that immediate feeling of like just so you know I'm out of here in a month. So. I would like to preface this by saying that my circumstances are very different to other people's in this situation. I got incredibly lucky with my situation and I can only explain it from my view. Uh, So when the pandemic hit and we were all sent home, I didn't work for the first six weeks until I got my working from home access sorted. At the time, my company working in finance, nobody was furloughed. Everyone continued with full pay and they had their their, uh, annual pay rises honoured as well so my pay went up slightly by the time i got back to work and i realized it still wasn't something i wanted to do the company that i worked for had always planned to lay off staff they were always looking at short uh, reducing the size of the company but they because the pandemic brought that forward they basically offered up what they called a basically they offered up voluntary redundancy and they said if you take this we will pay you this amount and I looked at the money that they were offering and went, that is a serious amount of money. You know, it's enough money to keep me financially stable. I looked at it and calculated it out at financially stable for the rest of 2021, if I take it. Great. Okay. So I had that. And, you know, there is still that umming and ahhing about it. I'm a man of faith. I prayed on it as well. And I think that was really important to me. And I just kind of went, I just kind of looked to the big man upstairs and went, look, you can have this. I don't want to worry about this. You can have it. Let, let, yeah, let, yeah, let yeah. me concentrate on what I need to felt like i was making the right call applied for it got it left at the end of march and at that point you kind of sit there and you go right i've got to really do something now um the fact that twitch has started off well the fact that uh i've still got income coming in from a couple of other little places and there's other stuff in the pipeline makes me really confident that i still have made the right move if however i get towards the autumn december time and it hasn't worked out then I'm, I will, I'll probably go back into an office job. But at least then I've got the knowledge and the comfort of knowing I tried all of this. Yeah. If I, if I, otherwise, I'd still be in the same job now. I wouldn't be doing this podcast with you. And I would just be, and I would be sitting in front of a desk again. I wanted to take that chance to see if I could do it. And I wanted to have a crack at it. And if I get to the end of it and it hasn't worked out, then at least I could say I tried, you know? And that's, that's the biggest thing about all of this. Because if I wasn't, I'd be kicking myself that I'd be missing out on it. Well, my biggest fear, without getting overly personal, but my biggest fear is waking up at forty years old and thinking, "Oh man, I should have, I should have done this, or I shouldn't yeah, have done that." Strange. That's my biggest fear. That is because yeah. once time is gone, time is gone. You know, our time on this earth is finite. So once today is over, there is no chance of me living today again. So, and without getting like really preachy and like weird and stuff, I just. I love that you've done that because if you wake up at 40 and you ended up going back into an office job, I'm not saying that's what will happen, but if that did happen, Mm. then at least you could be like, hey, you know, when I was 29, I rolled the dice and okay, I didn't get a 12, but I rolled them. Some people never roll them. I love that. That's awesome. That's so cool. And I also, again, I want to stress that I I had the opportunity there. 
that there are some people who are far braver than me who take it like you said walk in with a 28 day, with a month's notice and go i'm leaving to try it on my own and they completely go out in there i've been lucky in the sense that i've had an initial financial security behind it and again it's something that i cannot be i cannot be can't take for granted it's it, uh, you know i i was fortunate enough that things worked out for me to be able to do this um, obviously now the, the point is, is that I've got to try and make it work. And ideally I'd like to get myself to a position where I'm earning the same amount, if not more money, if it's not possible, you're right. I rolled the dice. It didn't work out. Hey, Oh, back I go. But I've been, again, I can't stress enough just how lucky I've been to be able to take this because, you know, some people, you know, might wake up at 40 and say, I wish they'd done that, but some people don't get the chance to. Yeah. And, yeah. and all, and because I know that I've got that chance, my main aim with all of this is just I want to make people happy. As I said, money is not the issue for me with this. I know I've just said that it would be nice to be able to earn more money than I've done at the moment and make this a successful career. But I would much rather be earning enough to keep myself afloat. And if it means that I'm making other people happy with everything that I'm doing, then I can consider this a job well done. I yeah. want people to be able, if I can help one person discover a new band, or I can make one feel, person feel feel less crappy about themselves because they've had a rubbish day at work or if i can make just that one person smile when they didn't think anyone else when they didn't think anything else could do it that's a job well done for me and i don't it doesn't matter what medium it is whether it's through my twitch streams whether it's through my tiktoks whether it's through something i've written on twitter or whatever if it can do that yeah that's that's where i get my satisfaction from all of this i love that man and you make you make a good point there like you you were quite fortunate in the way that the cookies crumbled for you and some people mm. may never get as lucky enough to have the yeah. chance to be able to take a, a relatively decent involuntary redundancy and take this chance. But even with all that, you still had to have the steel to do it, even mm. though you are fortunate. Yeah, I don't like. I don't want you to... as. As cool as it is, as you're like, I was really lucky. I think that also you, uh, you should credit yourself with. You still had to have the steel to do it. Oh uh, yeah, and there, there, there are two. Those are two different things. Yeah, right. There is. There was still that moment where I had to turn around and go, "Yeah, I'm going to try this." You know, I'm taking away a safety net. I'm taking away a, a, a you know a monthly salary, a guaranteed monthly salary to, to try and do this. Yeah, that doesn't. That wasn't an easy decision to make. It was a lot of umming and ahhing and a lot of soul searching on it. You know, thankfully, again, at the moment, it feels like it's worked out all right. But we'll have to just wait and see what happens further down the line. Dude, I did not anticipate us speaking for nearly an hour. <laughs> um, I, I time has flown. I, I, like, I like to talk, mate. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. That's a problem sometimes for me. Time has absolutely shot by here. Um, dude, I would keep this interview going, but for the fact of I have another noise podcast interview coming up in about 10 minutes. Um, so, it, so, so what I'm going to do, mate, I am going to get us through to the quick fire round now. Yeah, uh, do it. Where we, I am going to ask you 20 multiple choice questions. I'm sure. going to have a timer running against you and see how quickly you can answer them. The quickest we've had so far is 1 minute 30 seconds, which was Lucas Woodland from Holding Absence. Uh, still an incredible time that I'm not entirely sure how we did it. Um, but dude, when you're ready, we're going to go here and I'm going to see how well you do. I was born ready. Hit me. Let's go. Batman or Superman? Batman. Best time of the day? Uh, evening. Maiden or Metallica? Maiden, always. Megadeth or Anthrax? Uh, anthrax. Thrash metal or hardcore? Thrash metal. Favourite TV show? Twin Peaks. Favourite film? A Clockwork Orange. Sabbath or Motorhead? Sabbath. Pop punk, good or bad? Good. 
Favourite album of all time? The Wall by Pink Floyd. Favourite non-musical hobby? Oh, favourite non-musical hobby? Uh, football. Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings? Harry Potter, just. Alice in Chains or Soundgarden? Alice in Chains. Ketchup or mayo? Mayo. Iron Man or Thor? Iron Man. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Best live show you've ever seen? Uh, oh, um, oh, Iron Maiden at Twickenham, 5th of July 2008. I love it. Uh, your favourite band of all time? Iron Maiden as well. The best festival you've ever been to? Uh, Hellfest. And the best advice you could ever give someone? Uh, it all works out in the end. Dude, uh, an astonishing 1 minute and 12 seconds. Yes! Oh is. my god, dude, that is insane. Wow, okay, that has absolutely blown me away. One minute, twelve seconds. No just, one's ever just, beaten just, that. Just, just, it's it's one of those things. Is he just makes that decision first thing that comes to my head, uh, and also because I was, <laughs> I'm so competitive even with things like this. I was <laughs> like, many you told me it was one minute twenty. I was like, oh, I got to beat this then. Wow. Uh, so yeah, and, and then I, but the trouble is, I'm now thinking back on my answers, and I'm going. So the ones that were like, what's your favourite this? No real problem at all. The live one was difficult because there are bands out there that are better than Maiden Live and I will quite happily admit to that. Mm. But that was my first time seeing them. So the whole experience made it just better for me. Um, yeah, wow. Okay, 72 seconds. I'll take that. Mate, I, I not just the best this year, no one's ever going to beat that. That's <laughs> like, that's going to be like, you're going to get a plaque in about 15 years from me. I mean, like, <laughs> we've just recorded our last Seven Noise podcast episode and you oh, you were still number one. So here's your reward. And it will be it'll be the first thing on my trophy cabinet <laughs> along, with the, along with the well done on trying your freelance stuff. Um, <laughs> dude, no, um, I'll tell you what, dude, we've never spoken before. Uh, and, no, I, and I know, <laughs> and two years after, like, kind of, quote, unquote, meeting you on the internet, I, I am, I'm regretful that's the case. Um, because ah, this this was all happen. this was awesome. Uh, thank really really great chat. Thank you so much. Uh, before we sign off here, uh, perfect opportunity for you to let people know where they should, where they can and should find you because I've watched a, a few of your Twitch streams. And they yeah. Are excellent. So my URL on pretty much every single social media channel is Elliot Lever ninety two. That's Elliot spelled with two L's and one T. Lever spelled L E A V E R ninety two, uh, and that is my handle on. Uh, Facebook for my Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, and uh, Twitch. On Twitch, I stream Wednesday evenings music at 7 p.m. BST. I stream gaming on Saturday morning, 10 a.m. BST. And I stream whatever I fancy on Sunday mornings, 10 a.m. BST. Uh, there's going to be other stuff in the pipelines coming. But if you want to follow me again, Elliot Lever 92 on any of those social media channels I've mentioned, pop in, make yourself at home. Let's have a laugh. Dude, this was an insane, insane pleasure, man. Oh, thank oh, you so I'm much so for chatting good. to me. Um, no, pleasure's all mine. Thank you so much for having me on the show. This is the first time I've ever been a guest on a podcast. Right, so, dude. This is I'm going to get, get you back on this time next year, and we're going to see oh, what kind of year it. you've had, uh, and yeah, see if you can beat 72 seconds on the, tw on the 20 question quick fire. Although that <laughs> would be astonishing. No pressure on me already. Don't do that <laughs> for another year. Dude, this was so cool, man. Thank you so much. No worries at all. You take, take care. Take care, man. Bye-bye. Cheers. Ta-da. Bye-bye.